and welcome to Hitting Play, the podcast where we review, analyze, and discuss shows, movies, and other curiosities. I am Scott, and joining me is a guy looking for some serenity, Sean. Welcome back. I haven't found it yet, Scott, but I'm still looking. <laughs> I should explain to the audience that my um, my absence is due to a, a new child in my household that we expected to come, not just that showed up somehow. Amazon Prime. Amazon Prime since it's a child. <laughs> So that explains why I'm getting no serenity at this point, but Firefly helps me at least try to achieve some sort of a sense of serenity. Serenity now! It's really good to be back. <laughs> well, good good to have you back. Well, as Sean mentioned, this week we watched the cult hit sci-fi series about a ragtag spaceship crew trying to make a living while staying one step ahead of evil government and corporate forces in the year 2517. The cancelled too soon Firefly. Yes, very much so. This was really a misstep, I guess you can say. That's a very kind term to say it by Fox. Mm -hmm. The Fox Corporation to cancel Firefly or not even give it really a chance to show what it could really be, what kind of show it could really be. It premiered, I believe, in 2002, according to my notes here. Yes. And basically was axed by Fox within 11 episodes. I think it was a 13-episode or 14-episode run initial run that they had made for it or given it for the first season. And they, they decided to pull the plug after 11 episodes. Yeah. And their primary reason was was ratings, which is, I guess, a valid excuse, but not really looking at Fox's track record. I don't know if you did any research on that, Scott, but it's, it's pretty horrendous when it comes to canceling shows within the first season or within the first few episodes. Oh, yeah. Happens all the time. I mean, or even, you know, beyond that, just Arrested Development, people feel as though that was canceled too soon. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm not the biggest Family Guy fan, but uh, people were very upset that that was canceled, I think only after two seasons, and they ended up uh, giving in to the pressure and bringing it back and, you know, making a ton of money off of it. Yeah, there were so many shows, and it wasn't just a, a thing that Fox did in the, the 90s or the early 2000s. It's up to this day. There's a great show that came on, I believe, last season or the season before called Almost Human. Did you hear about that one when it was out? Sounds familiar. It was a sci-fi type show, and we should really do an episode on it someday, um, if we could find it anywhere. Set in the future, long story short, it was a cop buddy show, but in a serious tone, of a police officer and a, um android partner. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. Yeah, and it, I know I watched it um, religiously. It was an awesome show. Again, it lasted, I think they pulled the plug way before even the first season was was decided to be done because of ratings. But again, it had a lot of potential to be an excellent show if they let it go into a second season or gave it a try. Another one was uh, The Terminator, Sarah Connor Chronicles, mm -hmm. which I also watched. And that also was another Summer Glau uh, production or show. Um, starring her as a female Terminator. It's one of the main characters. And that actually went for two seasons before it was canceled. But again, that was another, not I wouldn't say super excellent show, but very, very good and very solid. And I think had a pretty solid fan base. Yeah. I looked recently, Scott, at a, a website. I forgot what site it was. I looked at it last night. That showed, it was basically a list of the 20 best shows that were canceled too soon. And I didn't get a total count, but a good majority of looking through that 20 list was Fox shows. <laughs> uh, by a long shot. I would say almost half were shows that Fox had at one time, including Terminator, including Firefly, of course, including Almost Human. But So they are really notorious for, 
for dumping shows that don't meet their ratings expectations and not giving them any kind of chance more than the other networks. But yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all. I mean, like you said, considering Fox's record and Firefly is just uh, so beloved, even uh, all of these years later, I mean, you know, 14 as we record this, the uh, episode that uh, we watched for this episode of the podcast was entitled Serenity. And we spoke about this before. Serenity is actually the pilot episode of Firefly, or the supposed pilot episode of Firefly. The should-have-been pilot episode of Firefly. It's a little confusing situation. Not only is Serenity the name of the feature film that followed the series, it's also uh, the pilot that was intended, but then Fox rejected it, and so it was shelved and actually aired last. Which is is so ridiculous. <laughs> it is. Um, if you watch the first five minutes of this show, or ten minutes, let's say, let's give it ten minutes, you could tell that this was intended to be the pilot, and it would make absolutely no sense to have this episode being last in the rotation. The biggest reason, and we'll go into it in a few minutes as we go th- break down the episode, is that two of the main characters, or three of the main characters, really... They're introduced in this episode. You know, they show up in this episode first. Yeah. At the pilot episode, which makes sense. But the, the pilot episode that they aired instead of this, was which actually the second episode, I believe, has those characters already in, in the episode. <laughs> so it's like they're there and you don't know who they are. You see Summer Glau is one of them. Her brother is there. Simon is there. At the first episode that Fox put out as the pilot, and then this is dumped on as the last episode of the series, as an afterthought almost, and it reintroduces those characters for the first time, which makes absolutely no sense. But you could tell how much Fox really didn't care about the show Yeah. at that point. You know, they said, as an afterthought, like I said, they just kind of dumped it on, said, okay, we have to fill in the time spot, so let's just throw it on there. Yeah, the, uh, the episode that you're referring to is called The Train Job, and if you watch this on Netflix... Uh, they actually did restore Serenity, the episode we reviewed for this episode, as the pilot, as the first episode. And then the train job is second in the list. So they, they restored the order for Netflix and I believe the DVD sets as well. So the episode that we watched is Serenity, and of course not to be confused with the movie Serenity. Uh, it was written and directed by the show's creator, Joss Whedon. And uh, like Sean said, it aired on Fox from September 20th to December 20th, 2002, and as we said, this is the last one to air, so it aired on December 20th, 2002. Yeah, I, again, I don't know who made this decision to air this last. It's really a disgrace. It's like anyone who watched this episode, Serenity, would realize, again, within five minutes, that it deserved to be the first episode. So it almost tells to me that they didn't make a decision based on any kind of information. Maybe they didn't like the name of it for some reason, because that's the only reference point that I can see they based their decision off of. It's very strange, and it's a it's a double-sized episode. I mean, without commercials on Netflix, I think it runs about 90 minutes, so it's feature length. Yeah. I mean, it's just so fitting as a pilot that uh, you can't imagine any other episode introducing you just, you know, as well as this does. No, not at all. And it, it's, I think it's a, a source of humor for the, the fans of Firefly that they did this. And it makes Fox look stupid, honestly. I wish that another network would have picked up Firefly after this. And maybe there's some hope down the road. I've heard rumors here and there about maybe being picked up. I wish Netflix is more relevant back in 2002 with the streaming mm. service they have. Because I could see them definitely picking up Firefly if it was the same situation being broadcast now for the first time and canceled by Fox. Oh, yeah. If they were like a decade too early, unfortunately. Yeah. 
because it would have been there's so many shows that Netflix is doing the same thing for now and they would have grabbed it in a heartbeat especially after they saw the fan base behind it but what are you gonna do you have you enjoy the episodes that were given to us and go from there and maybe they'll do a reboot like a Battlestar Galactica sort of thing 20 years from now that'd be nice <laughs> you never know yeah all right, so let's get right into this episode. We open on a very fierce battle as Malcolm Mal Reynolds, played by Nathan Fillion, Zoe Washburn, played by Gina Torres, and the rest of the resistance soldiers known as Browncoats are fighting in the Battle of Serenity Valley during what's known as the Unification War, but as we see, it's a futile effort as the Alliance ships are moving in. And Joss Wheaton has really said that he took a lot of inspiration from Firefly on the Civil War and really the post-Civil War United States and mm-hmm. the people who had to make ends meet who were part of the Confederacy after the Civil War and put it kind of 500 years in the future. So we could see, again, this is a, a futile battle, but we'd really see some already some character traits, especially of uh, Malcolm, how he's a natural leader, as we can see. He's really fighting. He goes and mans that anti-aircraft gun by himself whenever when everyone else is shell-shocked or dead. So it, it really shows what kind of person he is going to be in the series. I'm just so sad. My One of my favorite characters in the whole series died right in the beginning of this episode. You know who that was, Scott? No, who was that? I'm trying to remember. <laughs> the soldier who played the shell-shocked soldier. I think his name was ben- Bendis. <laughs> and there's that scene right at the end of this, this war scene where they realize that they're not getting reinforcements and that the Alliance ships are coming in with probably troop, troop transports. Mm-hmm. And Bendis is standing right next to him as Malcolm looks shocked. And he just gets shot oh. and falls to the ground right next to Malcolm. So he was a short-lived character, but one of my favorites, you know, <laughs> especially in this scene. Now, we, we should mention kind of the, the history that is the backstory of this is that the, the two superpowers of the world or of the universe, I guess, or uh, at that time of the galaxy is the United States and China, and they moved to this new uh, star system and formed this alliance government. And that's why the societies that you deal with are are really a fusion of the uh, Western and and Eastern, and and chiefly the United States and and Chinese language and food and architecture and everything. It's just a a blend of those two cultures. It's kind of an interesting dynamic that you do not see in really any other sci-fi. You know, Scott, and that's one of the things I love about Firefly is you have that blending of the Chinese and American cultures. If you actually go to the Firefly wiki page, they have their own wiki, it shows a really detailed uh, timeline of how Mm -hmm. the Firefly universe came about. And it starts basically right now in the 21st century about the unsustainability of Earth with the population growth and how they discovered this star system, and going through the next couple hundred years, this alliance, or what became this alliance, really took complete control of the planet, of Earth, and made this effort to leave the planet and create these arcs, almost, to go to this new star system and start these colonies, which were a bunch of planets and moons and stars within a relative short distance away from each other. So that really gives the background. Like you said, I love that fusion of... They're talking, and we'll see it a number of times throughout the whole series and this episode. They're talking in, in English, of course, and but then they come out with a Chinese phrase. Yeah. Like, right in the middle of fused into the English. So it's become part of their, their language and their vernacular at that point. Um, there's actually a website, too, that shows all of, breaks down every single episode and what the Chinese phrases are that they're saying. In each, and a lot of them are just Chinese curses, to be honest yeah. with you. 
<laughs> and it's actually really funny to go to that site and see what curses are actually saying. They're pretty, pretty. It's really funny. It must be funny as a Chinese individual or Chinese speaking individual watching this show, because they're they're pretty rough phrases, and they're able to sneak through because by the FCC, um, because they're in Chinese or Mandarin. So it's actually really funny. So, it, but also one thing I was thinking about is that there is a a lot of other phrases, and it's actually the wiki shows this whole list of all the phrases used that we'll see a few in this episode that have these words that are now part of the English language, which has, has evolved over the past 500 years instead of, and it's a way really for them to swear without swearing, kind of like the whole frack and Battlestar Galactica. Yep. Um, so they have their own phrases and they blame it on, oh, well, language has changed over 500 years. So this is what they use instead of the F word. They say this instead. Yeah, and they're able to to do that. So I thought that was really interesting how they um got away with that. Yeah, that is pretty funny. Now there was a deleted scene actually at the beginning, and it was an alternate opening, and it, w- it was showing the aftermath of this battle with all of the dead independent soldiers, and the medical ships arrive, and Zoe says, "Thank God," to which Mal asks, "Whose side is God on?" And this was to explain Mal's loss of faith. Instead, I guess the studio or the network wanted a more action-packed opening, so this whole thing was scrapped, and that's why we have that uh, action-packed opening of that battle, not the aftermath of it. Yeah, I I did hear about that delayed scene. I kind of like the the opening they have here. It kind of shows his loss of face. I I think they accomplished that by the look on his face when he realizes that they're not getting any reinforcements and that they've been ordered to basically put down their arms and surrender. Yeah, it's over. It's kind of like what you expect would have happened at the end of the Civil War when Lee surrenders. You know, they're mm-hmm. done, and they just have to give up now and go home. You know, I really like to. Uh, I, I have a hard time. I do like Star Trek and Star Wars, of course, very much. But this is, I think, more of a realistic, and we'll talk more about this as we go on. But more realistic view of science and the scientific aspects of 500 years in the future, because they're still using machine guns. It's not like everything's lasers necessarily. Mm-hmm. So it hasn't gone so unrealistic where they're firing lasers and torpedoes and all sorts of futuristic weapons. They're just variations or future variations of current technology, which is what you kind of expect. There weren't yeah. these huge leaps. They knew what works, and they, they go with what works. Yeah, realistic look at, at how time and, and uh, industry evolves. You know, it's a very interesting way of looking at it. Yeah. So we then cut to six years later as Mal, Zoe, and Mal's hired gun on the crew, this is Jane Cobb, played by Adam Baldwin, they're in space salvaging goods from an abandoned ship as Zoe's husband, who's Hoban Wash Washburn, played by Alan Tudyk, he's the pilot, uh, he remains on board their Firefly-class spaceship called Serenity. So Serenity is the name of the ship, Firefly is the class of the ship and the name of our series. Yes, you can see pretty uh, easily here what their their trade is. Um, We get kind of an idea. You can see as the series goes on, they're actually better people than this really portrays. shows that they're salvaging this this vessel that was destroyed, and we'll find out by who later on. I thought it was a really clever thing with the sci-fi aspect of it, where they just sent out this this beacon to fool the uh, Alliance ship that was coming after them. Yes, the crybaby. The crybaby, yeah. Oh, something more important we have to do. It's just another vessel in distress. Gave them a chance to get away, which I thought was um, a nice touch. They, you know, they ain't go out shooting. They use their brains to get out of the situation. This brings up another, because we actually see Firefly the first time, and Firefly go, kind of, or Serenity, excuse me, the Firefly class vessel, moving away from the debris after they send out the crybaby. Mm-hmm. One thing 
again, this is a, a big plus, and I've noticed this the first time I watched it, because you get the Star Trek again, the Star Wars, and there's always the sound of engines firing up or things crashing into other things in space. This is one of the first series I ever saw where it was actually a realistic view of there's no sound in a vacuum, <laughs> and there's no sound in space. And we see when fi- when Serenity is moving away, and you can see the engines are on, and there's obvious you know flames or whatever exhaust coming out of the engines there's no sound which is Mm. the way things are in space so they really did the research in that aspect of the show which which i really appreciate as a sci-fi and science fan in general i think gave it some more credibility oh yeah for sure i really like the dinosaur scene in this episode (laughs) yes (laughs) it's it's just a funny I, i forgot about that when they, especially when the dinosaurs turn against each other as toy dinosaurs, and they're a constant reminder throughout the show where he has them on the, the dashboard, I guess you could say, of uh, Serenity. Yeah, this is Wash the Pilot. Wash the Pilot, them. yes. Sorry. and <laughs> Especially, you know, it's just the voice of the uh, the dinosaurs, which is really funny. <laughs> con- this- you can see who the Joker is in this crew. Yes, yes, exactly. And as the Alliance cruiser is moving in, we Mal curses in Chinese. It's kind of the uh, the first use of uh, Chinese as a you know a, a blend of a uh, blend of languages, basically, as an example of that. Yeah, like I said, all you have to do is Google Firefly Chinese curses, and you can find out exactly what he said in Chinese. <laughs> it's usually you can see the Chinese comes out when they're actually in a stressful situation. It's either a curse or it doesn't. It's not like they're speaking in Chinese all the time. It's only certain aspects of it. Yeah. Now they also call for the ship's mechanic. This is Kaywinette Lee or Kaylee Fry, played by Jewel State, to shut all the systems down except for the air. And they watch as this cruiser slowly moves by. But somebody on board notices that there's heat detected on the abandoned ship, so they decide to investigate further. And that's where that, you know, crybaby is released. So the the cruiser focuses on what they perceive to be a fellow ship in trouble, except no, it's actually this beacon that they sent out. So the Serenity is able to get away since they distracted the cruiser, but the cruiser still put out word to Interpol that there's a ship with stolen goods out there. I just like that Interpol is still around, but now they're uh, a wing of this uh, menacing alliance. I really like the look of the alliance ship. I think they did a good job of showing the immensity of the alliance in this. It's yeah. huge. It's like a building. It's like a skyscraper type building, like a city almost. So it gives you that feeling that this these are not guys to be messed around with. They are the force in the galaxy. The one thing I did find that was kind of funny in the scene was when you look at the officers on the alliance talking about, you know, the heat sense and everything. They look like they're the costumes from the movie Spaceballs. <laughs> the, their uniforms they have those hats on like berets and they just if you watch Spaceballs you'll see what I mean they look exactly like almost like the uniforms in Spaceballs for the uh, um, the bad guys in Spaceballs so I thought that was I wonder if they found the wardrobe or something and decided to reuse them well that's funny you bring that up because from what I've read they actually were reused from the wardrobe of a sci-fi movie not Spaceballs but Starship Troopers yeah, and I, that, that's if you, I've never saw Starship Troopers. I did see the scenes from Starship Troopers, and they do look exactly like that too. Yeah, it's kind of <laughs> funny, but yeah, the, watch Spaceballs. I think it it probably came from there first. I'm guessing Spaceballs first, <laughs> then Starship Troopers, and then Firefly. So I'm guessing that's the order that these were reused. <laughs> it's sitting in so, a warehouse somewhere to be reused in a future science fiction movie in the near future. So from here we go to the opening sequence, which uh, it's like a Western theme song. About uh, finding serenity in a, you know, a double meaning. Yeah, it's very Western. 
And those words were written by Joss Whedon as well. And uh, the, there's one scene that has a, a, the spaceship flying over a running group of horses. I'm glad that horses still exist in the future. <laughs> so, again, I brings in, they gotta put that in as like a Western touch, you know. Yeah, yes. More about that scene a little later. There's some comments about it. Now, when we return, the crew opens the stolen crates that they salvaged, and we see that they're filled with some sort of stamped bars. They're almost copper-looking. So this is some sort of valuable product. We just don't know what it is yet. Then they set course for Persephone, where Mal plans on taking some passengers on and unloading the stolen goods before he heads to another place called Boros. And uh, we see here a little more of Kaylee, and she is very cheerful. Really the only happy person in the crew, it seems. Yeah, and going back for a second for Kaylee and the engine room, I kind of like, too, that they had the, um, they, they really kind of dumbed it down, I think, the engine. Because if you look at the engine room scene when they're hiding from the Alliance, the engine is actually spinning around. So I guess that's the, the cue to tell you that that's the engine, because mm-hmm. it's the thing that's spinning around, so... I thought that was kind of interesting little tidbit. It's not just a, a box, you know, it's an, a moving physical thing. Yeah, and if you are from the, I don't know, 25 to 35-year-old age range, you probably also remember Jewel State from her previous sci-fi role on the crew of uh, the, the Nickelodeon show Space Cases as Catalina, the girl from Saturn. I thankfully don't remember that at all. So. Oh, I used to love that show when I was younger. It was on when I was like in sixth grade, I think. That's where she was typecast initially. <laughs> but it was just funny to see her uh, land in a, another sci-fi show. So meanwhile, Zoe and Wash are discussing Mal's unusual behavior, and Zoe senses that he's tense about something. And Wash feels that, you know, he just needs a break, adding that they all need a break. And we see that there's a little tension here between Zoe and Wash. They're, they're husband and wife. Uh, Zoe is loyal to her husband, but she's also loyal to her captain. You know, we saw that opening where, you know, she fought alongside with Mal, and there's a lot of history there. And Wash kind of resents that loyalty, even though, you know, she is a, a faithful wife to him. Yeah, and that, that kind of carries on through the, the series where he this is more of a job to him, um, where it's her, her duty to Zoe to be yeah. with Mal and, and to be on the ship no matter what happens. It's, you know, they can't just walk away necessary and leave now mal asks if they have heard from the ambassador and this is a lady named inara sarah played by marana baccarin who is currently at persephone making what they call an honest living yes and so we cut to inara horizontally making this living as what they call a companion her client is an alliance soldier and after he leaves she pushes aside some curtains to reveal that she is actually in a shuttlecraft that's associated with the Serenity, and this is referred to as Shuttle One, and we find out that she actually rents it from Mal for her job. Yes. <laughs> and, and it's interesting, too, in this scene where the soldier, the, the, the Alliance person, makes reference that she had to go to school to, for her uh, trade. So this is something in the future that's looked on being a put it bluntly she's a woman of the night a soiled dove however you want to put it <laughs> but she is a companion is the term they use yes so it's something that's not illegal to be a prostitute it's something that's looked on as a actual profession that you have to go to school for and you have to go to a university or some kind of it must be quite a place uh to be, to be trained to be uh, a companion 
Yes, and her occupation is looked on as the most credible of anybody on the crew of the spaceship to start. It's uh, one thing about this character of uh, Inara Sarah. It was originally going to be played by Rebecca Gayhart, and they actually even did some filming with her, but they eventually replaced her. Joss Whedon felt it really wasn't going to work out, and he filmed a lot of the Inara scenes in a way so they could be easily replaceable. And reportedly, Rebecca Gayhart also had a legal case, and that kind of was complicating matters at the time. So Morena Baccarin was the last addition to the main cast. And uh, things have worked out pretty well for Morena Baccarin from from here. Recently, it, she just kind of fell not too long ago, but on IMDb, she was the number one ranked celebrity in the world. Wow, that, that is surprising, because you don't well, really hear her name. Well, she's in Deadpool, so oh, <laughs> and Deadpool okay, was well. the number one movie recently, so that has a lot to do with it. But uh, yeah, I mean, you wonder what would happen to her career if she wasn't the last replacement uh, to play Inara in this show. Yeah, could have gone a totally different way. But yeah, she does a very good job at the role. Again, she's not gruff. She's very sensual, which I guess she needs for profession. Um, and she has a good chemistry between, because you can see there's obviously history between her and Mal. Mm-hmm. As we go through the entire series, there's this tension that she wishes, I think, that there was more and with their relationship, and he just kind of looks at her as a prostitute. So that's why I think you get kind of this tension between them and kind of the jokes he makes if you watch the rest of the series about, not jokes, but cutting remarks, I guess you can say, about what she does. Because he has feelings for her, obviously, too, but he doesn't want to come to terms with what she does for a living. Yeah, very complex characters and and well-written. This is one of the show's... Scott, that I could say that all the characters I actually like. There's not one character, you know. You watch a series like this where there's a, a, a five or six main characters, or one main starring character and, and you know secondary characters, mm-hmm. and there's usually one or two like I don't like that guy for some reason, you know. But all these characters have their own quirks and their own personalities, which I, I don't dislike or have any bad feelings about any of them. Even throughout the series, if they do stupid things, which happens quite a bit with Cobb and that sort of thing, they're still likable characters in their own way, and they have their own quirks. So I think that was a big, a good casting decision when they um, wrote, you know, and writing decision when they wrote the the character descriptions and they cast them perfectly. So I'm glad that you know Joss Whedon took his time casting this Anora's character because I, I I think you could tell. He really put a lot of love and effort into uh, the details, not just threw something out there to get on the air. Yeah, definitely. And a credit to Joss Whedon and his writing. This is not the only cult show that he's created, you know? So he's doing something right. Exactly. All right, so we see Inara flying the Shuttle 1 away from her dock in what is a very large, bustling, futuristic city. We cut to another part of the city as Inara flies the shuttle to meet up with the Serenity, and we see that this is a very, very busy area. It And it looks like a mix between the Old West and a Chinese marketplace, but in a futuristic setting. It's really cool. There, there's horses and tents. We see gangs, signs in Chinese. There's chickens running around. There's dog meat stands. I it, thought that was really funny. Good dog. It's, yeah, it's crazy. Very, very busy area, though. Yeah, and you can see, again, I like how they did this. It's not all utopia. And this no. is really what this shows, that there are, okay, there are some nice sections. And we get the the, really the combination, like you said, of all the different cultures, the Chinese, the Western culture. But in the middle of it all, it's not all run down. They have a information stand right there. It's a computerized terminal. Yeah. You know, but there's horse, a horse-drawn wagon goes by, you know, and carts and that sort of thing. So really, really 
nice the way they did this. It's not the Star Trekian again utopia. Another thing I wanted to bring out, I'm looking at the dog stand as I'm watching as we read this and looking at good dogs, <laughs> explanation point, is that, again, going back to the science and the science, the reality of the science, one thing I like about the ship, Serenity, I guess you could say the Firefly class and all the ships in um, Firefly, is they don't travel these unrealistic speeds and, mm-hmm. and distances. You have to remember that this... All these planets that they go to and moons, and they're all within this one star cluster. So they're pretty close together. And they're not traveling at FTL, you know, faster in light speeds. They're going at normal. I mean, they're going faster, obviously, than what we have today for technology. But that's why it takes weeks to get from one star to another star or one system to another system. This is like the Old West where, you know, I think they're trying to make that comparison that, you know, to get from the East Coast to the West Coast, it was not a, uh, you know, six-hour trip. Yeah. It was a, a challenge to move stuff around, and Serenity is no exception. It has a fuel limit. It can only go a certain certain distance of its fuel, as was brought out in the previous scene where it talked about the fuel cells drying out. So it, it's realistic in that way, too. It's futuristic because it expands on what we already have. But it's not crazy, oh, we're just going to jump to this system and be there in two seconds. And that's that's one thing I really appreciate. It's more about the story than it is about the, the crazy futuristic science fiction. Yeah, just it's so well done. Now, the Serenity lands at Persephone and the crew sets out on their missions. Mal, knowing that his goods are hot, just wants to unload them as quickly as possible. And now here we see an older gentleman named Daryl Book, played by Ron Glass. And he's among the crowd seeking a ship for safe passage. Uh, when Mal and the crew meet up with the contact, this is a man named Badger, we see that there's already trouble. Uh, a warning had already been broadcast that a rogue vessel with a Firefly classification had been spotted pulling this illegal salvage on a derelict transport. And so, right away, Badger knows what's up. And uh, I love in this scene, uh, when they go, you know, the crew goes to meet with Badger, he picks up a piece of paper, yeah. but it's like electronic paper. Yeah, it's like digital scrolling and stuff. It's like an iPad on a piece of paper, yeah. Yeah, it's really cool. And otherwise, it's he's kind of like a, almost in a, a room like a tent, you know, with an old desk and everything's dusty. But here he picks up this electronic piece of paper. It's almost like you were talking about before. It's like a clever blending of eras, but within that futuristic setting. Yeah, and the one thing I liked about Badger here is he's cranking that thing. It's a crank next to mm-hmm. him, um, which is kind of funny. And he's also wearing a tie without a shirt, which I thought was interesting. <laughs> um, just he's a he's a character, let's put it that way. Yeah, and the part of Badger was originally written for Joss Whedon, but oh, really? uh, yeah, I, I guess they they decided to uh, cast an actor instead. I'm sure Joss has some acting creds that he can, you know. Oh, I'm sure he could do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Now, although the Serenity wasn't necessarily ID'd, the goods are all government stamped, and that's a big no-no. They can tie all of the stolen goods to the government, the Alliance, and they want no part of it. So Badger calls the deal off. We could see that, again, there was a lot of money tied up in this. So it's not like a a one little job that they can necessarily, they have to get rid of this stuff now and and try to get their money back because this was going to be a payday for a while. Yeah, and as we see, they kind of have to just work from job to job just to stay alive, just to exist. Yeah. So meanwhile, back at the ship, Kaylee is <laughs> spinning a rainbow-colored parasol. All I could think of is Jerry Seinfeld. Do you remember that? When he yes. was yeah. <laughs> the umbrella salesman? <laughs> ship for rent. Ship for, you know, passengers needed. This is my technique. I invented this. Yeah. 
And they had mentioned so, previously that they're they wanted to put take on a couple passengers. Yes. Um, so this was something that we were expecting. It isn't like they were a surprise they're going to be getting passengers at this point. Yes. And, and Kaylee spots Book and tells him, you know, you're going to be flying with us. And Kaylee notices that he's more concerned with the ships than the destinations. And he tells her that it's because how you get there is the worthier part. Hmm. He reveals to her that he's a shepherd from the South Down Abbey, which is the, the future version of Downton Abbey. Of course, yes. <laughs> and uh, he has a little cash to pay, plus something in a small box. And we don't know exactly what this is. All we know is that it makes Kaylee say, Ooh, Grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> and I like how she kind of nonchalantly said, oh, can you pay for the trip? Or, you know, she was kind of beating around the bush trying to yeah. uh, see if he was actually going to have any money for the, the transport. So she's nobody's fool, basically. No, no. But it's funny. When he heard her say Grandpa, he clarifies that he, he can't be a grandpa because he never married. We also see with Book, when we first see him walking past the dog meat stand, that he was looking at the other soil doves in the, um, I assume were soil doves, probably a lesser quality. Uh, she went to a, a community college for their trade instead of a university. Oh, but he, he kind of had this look on his face where he was, you know, surprised and awed by everything he saw around him. So we, we get the feeling that he's been in this abbey for a long time. Yes. And he hasn't, like he said, he mentioned himself, he hasn't been in the world for a while. So he's, you know, this is all fascinating to him, all the different cultures and things he sees. Yes. And we learn that he's a shepherd and not necessarily uh, a person that herds sheep, uh, a shepherd of, of men or a, a flock of, you know, uh, people adhering to this religion that's kind of like a, a blend of Western and, and Eastern ideologies, I guess. You can see that by his look, too. He has kind of like the longer ponytail type hair, and he looks like a cross between a missionary priest and a um, a Buddhist, possibly. So Yeah, he's almost uh, like a monk in his mannerisms and, you know, the way he conducts himself. Yes. So we cut back to Mal, Zoe, and Jane. They're now walking around Persephone trying to figure out what to do next. They can't sell the goods at Boros because it's crawling with Alliance, and they can't just dump the goods because, like you said... You know, they, they need this money. They haven't had a job in weeks, and it's just that they have to get something for it. So Mal decides that their best option is to try to find a buyer in the border planets. And Mal specifically has someone in mind. He wants to go to a place called Whitefall to meet with a lady named Patience. And Zoe does not want any part of this. She doesn't want to deal with Patience because she and Mal have a history. She shot him. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, you know, that makes sense. Yeah. And, and Zoe, you know, she lists off all of these potential other buyers, but Mal points out a problem with each and every one of them, including one who's dead because his town was hit by Reavers. And uh, this is our first mention of Reavers here. And when Jane hears this, he said there's no way he's going anywhere near Reaver territory. So basically the, uh, the point of this is that Reavers are bad. Yes, very, very bad. If Jane's afraid of them, they're not something to be looked at lightly. As we'll learn, they're a, they're a group of these fierce cannibals that do very terrible things to their victims. It's just kind of these these men, and you know they they kind of left society and they went I don't know insane with space madness, I guess. Space madness really does that to you, yeah. <laughs> well, if you ever see the Ren and Stimpy episode, <laughs> yes, <That's right. laughs> that's a great one. <laughs> 
So Mal reasons that Whitefall is the safest and closest option, and he forgives patients for shooting him, since it was due to, quote, a perfectly legitimate conflict of interest. <laughs> <laughs> so as the crew makes their way back on board the Serenity, we also see this large crate being brought on board that belongs to a passenger named Simon Tam, and this is played by Sean Mehar, as well as a passenger named Dobson. And, you know, Zoe's watching them enter the ship and she's a little uneasy about having both citizens and stolen cargo aboard. But Mal tells her that, you know, if there's a problem with a passenger, just shoot them. Politely. No, you know. But I like how they, they really put Simon as this, even this costume looks old western. You know, he has the, the suit on, he has the vest, he looks like a futuristic with his glasses. You know, they, they kind of said, we want to make this guy a respectable old western type character. How do we make him futuristic? Well, give him red shaded glasses. And mm. you know, that's how we do it. But it works too. I mean, the costumes are great in, in this as well. Yes, they are. They do a good job with it. So Anara also parks her shuttle into the side of the ship and now all are aboard. And as the doors close, we see Simon is paying more than the usual attention to his large crate as we cut to commercial. When we return, we see Mal addressing the new passengers. He tells them the rules of the ship. They are free to be in the dorm or the dining area at any time they want, but anywhere else on the ship is off limits without an escort. And here he also tells them a little lie. He tells them that the Alliance has ordered them to drop off some medical supplies at Whitefall. Uh, Whitefall, we learn, is the fourth moon on Athens. And so they will be making a previously undisclosed stop there. Mm. One previous point from the previous scene, Sky, I forgot to mention, as the ramp is coming up on the ship, mm -hmm. we see that Kaylee is taking up her parasol and her chair. I'm, I'm really happy to see that the chairs that you buy at Kmart, the uh, lawn chairs, survive <laughs> the 500-year journey because unless they're producing them again, it's the same chair I have in my, my shed right now. The, you know, the, the weaving and the whole thing around the metal frame. So glad they survived. Hey, if a design works. It might as well go with it, yeah. <laughs> I think it's an original, to be honest with you. I think it came from Earth. It's an antique? Yep, guaranteed. So as, you know, Mal is trying to tell them, oh yeah, we're going to drop off medical supplies. You know, that's his w way of covering the fact that they're going to try to, you know, sell off this stolen cargo. Simon starts to ask about what medical supplies, you know, he's kind of interested in, in finding out what this is. And that, of course, we find out is because he has a medical background. Mm -hmm. Now, as everybody gets settled, we see Simon once again paying very close attention to this crate. And we also see this other guy, Dobson, he's really acting like a klutz. He's bumping into people and stumbling around with his bags. Yeah. And also in this scene, Inara finally comes on board and greets the crew. And uh, Book greets her as a state official. You know, very, very respectful because he hears the crew refer to her as an ambassador. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I think this is, again, this is one of those examples of, um, I think, Mal's making a, a barb at her because he's has feelings for her because basically mm -hmm. it says well she's a whore yeah you know he he clears it up pretty quickly of what you know she she really her profession is she's not a official and the ambassador is just a, a jesting term yes a companion not an ambassador but he, he does mention that she is actually important in that capacity because there's many places that would not let them dock without her presence hmm. so she does serve that very valuable role she kind of as we were mentioning that profession is legitimate in the future, and that legitimacy is what allows them to dock from place to place. Yeah, so it's a win-win it's a for both sides, basically. Yeah, so later now we see Kaylee opens that mysterious box that Book brought with him, 
and it didn't contain a precious gem or money or anything like that. It had a strawberry. (laughs) Yeah. Again, showing that we're in the frontier and those things are hard to come by, so they're looked as valuable as, as, as money. Yeah. And she devoured half of it right away. So we then cut to dinner time at the dining area where they gather together for a meal. And we see that Book had brought with him some food from his garden and some actual real spices. So they were able to make a, a real meal and sit together, you know, all together at the table to eat together. And, and if you notice, they're eating with chopsticks, which is a nice touch. Oh, yeah. I noticed that some of them have forks, some of them have chopsticks. I thought that was interesting. Oh, yeah. It's Kelly with chopsticks. I like that the table was a big wooden table also. Mm-hmm. Again, going back to the whole... It's not all futuristic. They actually brought some furniture that was made of actual wood on board the Serenity. Make it a little more homely. And the whole kitchen galley area is, is pretty... It's a, it's a nice, homely, pleasant space. It's not anything that's, again, sanitized or, or really that you would expect in a, a spaceship. Yeah. In that scene, it's one thing that's stressed by Joss Whedon in all of his productions is building a family. And that's really something that comes across in this scene. We see the whole crew gathered together to eat. They're breaking bread. They're sharing food. They're conversing with one another. And that, that's really stressed in this scene. As well as the fusion of Asian and American cultures, you know, as I mentioned about the chopsticks. Yeah. It also was mentioned that Tim Minier and Joss Whedon said that there's some a couple of scenes in the show that perfectly uh, exemplified the mood of the show. And, and one is that scene with Mal eating with his chopsticks and there's a Western tin cup right next to his plate. So we see that beautiful, uh, seamless blending of the Eastern and Western cultures. The other is from the train job, which is the, the next episode where Mal is kind of thrown out of a holographic bar window. And it's also mentioned that, you know, that scene, as I talked about in the opening sequence where the, the ship is flying over that group of horses they mention that as Whedon's attempt to capture, quote, everything you need to understand about the series in five seconds. So, so much attention uh, paid to detail in all these little scenes. And this is uh, this is really uh, an example of that right here in this, this dining room setting. Yeah, it's just a very nice scene in, in general. Now we see in this scene that Simon has questions about the Alliance making them drop off supplies. And you can see that Mal is a little irked by all of the questioning. And uh, Dobson interjects that, you know, it's good that they're helping. We get a more, little more background there of Simon also in that scene, the dinner scene. Again, we know that he is now a surgeon, or a, a doctor, I guess you should say. Not a yeah, surgeon. trauma surgeon they refer to him as. He's trauma surgeon, yeah. So again, a little, little more of the mystery we see of his interest and you know why, where his background is as we continue on. We also learn here that the outer planets have been terraformed by the Alliance to make them somewhat Earth-like. And once it's just close enough in atmosphere and gravity, they dump off a bunch of settlers with really the absolute bare necessities and let them fend for themselves. And some survive and some don't. And that's why these outer planets are, you know, these perfect American Old West analogs. Because then they're very, they're very new planets, again, newly terraformed and just newly. And that's actually part of the, uh, the history of, if you look at the, the wiki, the timeline of Firefly, it really shows that there was an attempt at when Earth was being overrun and was not able to sustain humanity anymore to terraform Mars and Venus, for example, and it, those attempts failed and were abandoned. So, again, the amount of effort and time it gave to the history of, of how things were done was, is pretty impressive. Mm. 
Now, as all this is going on at the table, Jane is seeing how complimentary Kaylee is being towards Simon, and he starts saying some really crude things and is dismissed from the table by Mal. And I like here where they ask Mal, what do you pay him for? And he says, public relations. <laughs> yeah, and Jane throws some more food on his plate before he takes off. Again, showing he, Mal's really the father figure here in this family. Mm. And he has control over his crew. He's not going to let this stuff kind of... He's not. No one's going to get away with this nonsense, I guess you can say. Now, from here, we cut to Inara in a sponge bath scene, because it is Fox, after all. Yes. And Book shows up with a meal for her, and he admits to her that he finds the dynamic between Mal and the crew odd. He's not interested in ingratiating himself with anyone, yet he's very protective of his crew. And he's also fascinated with Mal because he is a mystery. And Inara mentions to him that she's fascinated with Mal because few men are a mystery. So like you said, we can tell that there's, you know, there's an interesting relationship here. Feelings definitely between the two. Yes. Potentially. Now from here we cut to Mal's quarters where he just finished the, using the toilet and he's washing up. And I love like the folding toilet and sink in this scene. Yeah, I like the whole cabins in general. Yeah. Um, we see, I don't know if we see in this this episode, I can't recall. But you can see how they get to the, uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm glad they show the toilet, definitely. <laughs> but I like how they, they actually get to their, their cabins. They actually actually have to go down a little ladder, again, showing the little spaceshipness of it. But also they have this nice cabin space. And you can also see the Chinese artifacts and, and banners on this wall mm -hmm. uh, in Mal's quarters, too. Again, showing the blending of the, the cultures. So now Mal gets called from his quarters up to the cockpit because somebody actually hailed an Alliance cruiser. And Wash informs him that you know, they have a mole on board. And from there, we cut to Simon in the cargo bay. And he's once again looking at his crate. So they're really, you know, laying it on thick here that there's something up with Simon and they need to find out what it is. He's probably, you know, kind of putting the idea in your brain again that he's the one that sent the Alliance cruiser and he's the mole right off the bat. Yeah, it's heavily implied. Yes. So Mal goes there and he punches him, thinking he betrayed them. He's the one that signaled the Alliance. And Mal pulls a gun on Simon. And Book enters, telling Mal that he has the wrong man. Looking over to the stairs, they see that Dobson is the one pointing the gun at them. Yeah, and it's, it's kind of nice again where we see the firearms that they pull out, especially Mal's. It looks like an older cult, a futuristic type of cult with a handle, and so it's not like a futuristic weapon. It's a, it's a, it's a gun. It's a you know Western-inspired gun. Yeah. Now Dobson tells them that he's only interested in arresting Simon, and from here we get a standoff. Dobson says that Simon is a fugitive, and he knew all along they were not bringing medical supplies to Whitefall. And Book, you know, is trying to defuse the situation, and Mal grabs Simon as Book approaches Dobson. And some more crew members enter, and in all the confusion, Dobson shoots Kaylee in the stomach. Book then knocks out Dobson, but then protects him from Jane, because Jane just wants to kill him at this point. Yeah, understandably. <laughs> now, as Simon and Mal attend to Kaylee... Wash informs them that an Alliance cruiser has told them to stay on course and prepare to dock for prisoner transfer. So <laughs> there's a lot, there's a lot going on here. A lot of bad stuff is happening all at once for this crew. So Simon demands that they defy the Alliance orders and they change course. And, you know, Mal doesn't want to do this. He's planning on turning Simon in. You know, he's just a whole bunch of trouble already. He just wants to get this off his ship at this point. Yeah. But if they don't do what Simon says, he'll let Kaylee die. And I'm sorry, I had, to say, I had to say that once. <laughs> <laughs> now, Mal doesn't want to lose Kaylee, so he agrees to change course. 
And so Simon now performs surgery with assistance from Minara and Mal, and he removes all the bullet fragments. And you see that scene? Like, Jane is hiding nearby, and he's, like, nervously waiting. So we see he's a little bit of a softy as well. Yeah, especially for for Kelly. I mean, he maybe a little sister-type thing there. Yeah. Um, a relationship. It's not romantic in any way, we can see. Um, no, very protective, though. Protective. And the, the sick bay, or the infirmary, is, again, I like the way they did this, where it's a well-stocked... You can see it looks cleaner and nicer than the rest of the ship. Mm-hmm. It's not used that often, obviously, probably. We don't have a, do- a regular doctor on board. So it kind of gives that comparison that it would be newer than the rest of the ship in a sterile, nice environment. Yeah. But again, not any sci-fi type stuff. you got normal equipment he has to work with. It looks like a normal, somewhat futuristic uh, hospital room or operating room. Now, with Kaylee somewhat stable, Inara asks what's going on. And Mal decides it's a good time to find out, so he marches to the cargo bay and he grabs Simon's large crate. So Mal says, well, let's see what a man like you would kill for. And he kicks open the crate as Simon yells, no! And inside, we see a girl in a cryonic state. Yes. (laughs) And as Mal remarks, huh, we cut to commercial. So at this point, the show takes a commercial break. So why don't we take this opportunity to take a commercial break of our own? We'll pay some bills, and we'll be right back. Every single night, a corrugated cathedra is violently abused. 3,000 of these were rescued last year. For hundreds of others, help came too late. Hi, I'm Steve McMockman. Will you be an angel for a conveniently collapsible place of rest? Every day, innocent seats are abused, beaten, and neglected, and they're crying out for help. Please, call now and join the GAFCV with a monthly gift right now. For just $16 a month, only 60 cents a day, you will help rescue them from their abusers in professional wrestling and provide care shelter, and fancy seat cushions. Call or join online in the next 30 minutes and you will receive this welcome kit with a photo of a folding chair in a storage unit right now. One that has been given a second chance, thanks to you. Right now, there's a seat who needs you. Your call says, I'm here to help. Please call right now. This message has been brought to you by the Grapplers Against Folding Chair Violence Committee. And we're back! So when we return, Simon is being held by Jane as he asks to check the girl's vitals. Evidently, she's not supposed to face the shock of being awakened from a deep freeze like this. And apparently you have to be totally naked to be in a cryonic state, just so everybody knows. Yeah, I was a little surprised by this, but this is pre-Janet Jackson, so this is the way TV was going around that time, I guess. And we get a a naked, slithering summer glow on the deck of the ship, which is, you know, I'm not going to (laughs) complain. Now, Mal is under the impression that Simon must have, you know, bought the girl and he's some sort of sick human trafficker. Just then the girl screams and leaves from the crate. And she's scared and screaming that they talk to her. They. You know, it doesn't really mention who that is, but she hears voices somehow. 
And Simon, you know, goes over to her and calms her down and reveals to Mal and the rest of the crew and us viewers that the girl is his sister, who he calls River. Yeah. So we next cut to Simon addressing the crew. And this is where he gives us a little backstory. And we hear that he came from a wealthy background. He was a very gifted medical student. But as gifted as he was, his sister makes him look, as he puts it, like an idiot child. River, we find out, excelled at everything that she tried. Everything just seemed to come naturally to her. And so they got word of this exciting new program at a government academy. And despite the fact that they could have afforded any school, like, you know, they were a wealthy family, she decided to enroll at this government program at the age of 14. Simon goes on to say that the letters to home became scarce, and then the ones that the family received started to make less and less sense. They were referring to events that never happened, and Simon realized that it was actually a code. River was trying to send him these secret messages, and they actually said, they're hurting us, get me out. Mm. Yeah, so again, uh, putting more emphasis that the Alliance is you know, a corrupt government, or having these issues, and this continues for the rest of the series too. Talking about, you know, River's abilities and her experiences in this academy. You know, so really, again, this would make perfect sense for this to be the pilot episode of this show. Mm. Since it introduces us to these characters, not the last episode of the show. But, you know, I'm I'm just a lowly person that's not an executive (laughs) at Fox. So, who am I to say what order the show was shown in? Well, as it shows with the DVDs and Netflix, uh, everyone else was correct. Correct, yes. So Simon also explains he broke River out uh, thanks to money and luck. He couldn't get near to her for two years, and then he was contacted by some men from an underground movement that informed him that what they were actually doing was messing with her brain. And so they snuck her out in a cryonic state to Persephone in exchange for money, and that's where he met up with the crew of the Serenity. So, despite this harrowing tale, Mal lays it all out. They now have a kidnapped federal officer on board, they have the Alliance on their trail, and Kaylee is still suffering a gunshot wound. And they're not really sure exactly what the Alliance knows about them from the signal that was sent out. It could be just their location, but it could be, like, all their individual profiles as well. So they figured in the meantime, they'll just finish the job. They'll, they'll circle back to Whitefall, deliver the stolen goods to patients. If Kaylee lives, he'll let Simon and River go free there. But if Kaylee doesn't make it, well, he might let him off uh, a little sooner, as he puts it. <laughs> Which doesn't go over well with some of the other members of the crew. There's a lively debate that takes yes. place about yes, you know voting on murder and <laughs> whether they can do that. And I, I love in this scene, Mal quiets them with a little more Chinese and delivers the uh, Bill Belichickian line, the way it is is the way it is. Yep. <laughs> yeah, and showing he's in he's in charge. He's the one that is gonna you know he's the buck ends here sort of thing. Yeah, and they listen, and this you know this is not grounds for mutiny by any stretch. They are still very loyal to Mal, even suggesting murder. Yep. But Anara stands up to Mal. She tells him that if he leaves Simon and River to fend for themselves in Whitefall, she'll go too. And Mal tells her basically that well you know maybe you should. Yeah, it's for the best maybe. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And we could see that Simon approaches uh, Mal again and uh, immediately gets punched once again. So. Yeah, I saw that coming. Yeah, saw that coming. <laughs> so we next cut to the prisoner hold where Mal has assigned Jane the duty of interrogating Dobson to find out exactly what he told the Alliance about them. And Dobson is telling Jane that, you know, they're in a mountain of trouble because River's a very precious commodity 
And just as Jane was about to begin interrogating with his knife, Dobson blurts out that the Alliance knows everything. And he's a bad liar. Jane, Jane can read people very well, it seems, and he immediately knows that he's bluffing and that the Alliance knows nothing. And he's actually really disappointed when he finds us out. He says, I was going to get me an ear, too. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He's going to cut off the guy's ear. <laughs> that's, that's an ongoing uh, reference, <laughs> I, I believe, about the ears. So Dobson offers Jane a bribe. He says that, you know, River's worth a lot of money, and if Jane helps him, he'll give him so much money he'll be able to buy his own ship. Calls Serenity a piece of crap. Yeah. <laughs> so from here we cut to the cockpit where Wash informs Mal that a Reaver ship is approaching. You know, if things weren't bad already. About to get worse. Yes. Mal addresses all on board via the PA and informs them that they are passing a Reaver ship. And he, he tells everyone that they're just going to hold course, so stay calm. Simon asks Zoe what happens if the Reavers take the ship. And it's not good. Zoe tells him... That the Reavers will rape them to death, eat their flesh, and sew their skins into their clothing. And if they're very, very lucky, they'll do it in that order. <laughs> yeah, again, the Reavers are not something you want to really mess around with. Um, I get that impression by her speech there. Um, if it hasn't been already given to us or we don't understand what they are capable of, now we kind of get a clearer picture. Yeah. They're not good. Brutal. So as the ship moves by, the crew prepares. We see Simon stands by his sister, and Nara is holding a syringe in a box, and Jane is loading some really heavy-duty weapons. And he has some smut magazines posted in his, his quarters, <laughs> if you notice in the background. <laughs> now, it was later revealed what that syringe was all about in that scene. According to Tim Minier, and he was the executive producer, Tim Minier, he mentioned that Inara was infected with a deadly disease, and there would yeah. have been an episode where the Reavers attack her, but because she injected herself, they all die. Yeah, I think that's referenced somewhere else in the series. I, I don't recall exactly what, where, but it's, it's uh, they kind of allude to it. Yeah. Not the Reavers part, but you know about her disease, and I don't know if they go into. I can't remember if they go into too much detail about what it is or whatnot, but it's, it does come up again. But after a very tense couple of minutes, the Reaver ship holds course and it just floats by without incident. So crisis averted. <laughs> Thankfully. So we next get a moment between Mal and Kaylee in the medical bay. Uh, she wakes up. She tells him in a real kind of half anesthetized state that he's a nice man and he needs to have more faith in people. And then she closes her eyes and kind of just drops her arm limply. Later, after receiving some immunization supplies from Inara, Simon is met up by Mal, and he tells him that Kaylee is dead. And so Simon sprints to the medical bay to find that Kaylee is awake, and she's talking to Book, and she even waves to him as he's, like, standing there panting because he sprinted all the way over there. And he says to himself, the man's psychotic. <laughs> <laughs> he does have an interesting sense of humor. Yes. You know, he probably thought, Simon thought... First, his skills failed, and that he was about to, and his sister about to be tossed down an airlock, probably. So, multiple yeah. levels of concern there. That's true. That meant certain death for them as well. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, like you mentioned about Mal's humor, this was an attempt at a joke. This was a prank because we immediately cut to the cockpit where Jane, Mal, Zoe, and Wash—they're all laughing hysterically at the story. <laughs> <laughs> it's very funny. Giving that, I think that background that the West is a tough place, and you know they kind of pulled one over on the city slickers sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. Now, just then, they're hailed by patients, and her and Mal talk via video, and Mal tells her that even though they didn't part on good terms, uh, just like air through an engine, it's passed. 
And if you notice that, you know, they're, they're talking, it's almost like a Skype call. If you notice, the camera almost looks like a peephole from a, from a hotel door. Yeah. And the, the monitor, I mean, this is just like a regular screen. This isn't like some futuristic hologram-looking screen. This lo- looks like technology that hasn't really advanced too much in 500 years. But Again, why, if it's why, why broke, why fix it sort of thing, you know? Exactly. If it's not broke, why fix it? So it, it shows that the real, realism of the current technological situation is they just have to deal with what they have sort of thing. Yeah, and this is not the most updated ship. No, exactly. So it's it's an older ship, as we the lion said before. So Mal tells her about everything that he has. Patience appreciates that Mal is upfront about the fact that the cargo is alliance stamped, and she agrees to negotiate. And everything seems to go pretty well in the call. But after they end, Mal believes that Patience is planning to shoot him again. Yeah, well, he's a realist. <laughs> it's pretty funny. So Jane suggests shooting her first. With Wash adding that, you know, it is her turn. (laughs) Zoe, again, doesn't want any part of this whole thing. She suggests moving on to another moon, but Mal is now determined to make this deal with Patience. He's viewing it as just another obstacle in their path. So from here, we cut to Dobson slowly cutting the cloth tied around his wrists. And uh, speaking of cutting, we cut to commercial. So when we return, we see the Serenity land on Whitefall, uh, which really looks like a very sparsely vegetated... Uh, desert-like landscape you know you can see that this is something barely terraformed barely inhabitable and really kind of like this old west setting very pretty scene as the uh serenity flies over it did a good job with uh, the planet and the moon it looks realistic you can see the atmosphere bouncing off it so very nice art direction artwork there and cgi stuff yeah not bad considering it's a decade and a half ago pretty much yeah yeah it's very very nicely done Now, Mal, Zoe, and Jane get out of the ship to make the deal, and they sense an ambush, but they decide to proceed. Back on the ship, Book tries to warn Dobson that he may be in more danger. But by this time, Dobson is free, he slides the door out, and he bludgeons Book, knocking him out. Yeah, I mean, pretty uh, brutally, too. I mean, a couple times after the guy's down on the ground with a bottle or whatever that thing is, Mm. it it whacks him a couple more times at the head, it looked like. So, I wanted to make sure he was really yelling, I guess. I guess so. So we cut back to the Desert Valley where Patience and her men ride up to Mal and crew on horseback. And we also see that Patience has a sniper at the ready, as they assumed she would. This is the old west part of it. You can yeah. see that they look like Patience actually has like a bandolier on. You know, they're all wearing western-style hats. They Actually, a few of them have bandoliers. And a good fusion, again, of the modern but the old western. Mm. It's like modern-type sniper has a modern-type sniper rifle. So, again, really nicely done with the costuming and the whole thing. And Patience, we should mention, too, is, is an older lady, probably in her late 50s, early 60s, kind of the uh, the motherly leader of this small society on this planet, or this moon. But she's very tough, as we find out. Yeah. And pretty ruthless. But knowing that she was going to have a sniper there, they prepared for it, and we see Jane knocks him out and takes his spot. It drags him away. <laughs> <laughs> so, back on the ship, Dobson tries to signal the Alliance, but cannot get a signal from this this outer area. So he does grab a gun. So he is armed. And we cut back to Mal and Patience negotiations. Mal will not hand over the cargo unless he receives 200 in platinum. And to show Patience that he isn't lying about the cargo, he throws her one of the bars. A nice little uh, movie did there where the, the bar is right next to his gun. So it kind <laughs> of uncovers that to show, hey, you know, I'm not messing around either. Right. And we find out finally what this this cargo is. It's not hmm. some kind of precious metal. 
but it's actually foodstuffs. Yeah, genuine grade A foodstuffs. They're packed with protein, vitamins, and immunization supplements. And we learned that one bar would feed an entire family for a month. Mm. <laughs> no, if you notice, when Patience opens it, she takes a huge bite. So <laughs> it's like a she chocolate just, bar. Yeah. Did she eat like 12 meals just then? Yeah, that's right, yeah. <laughs> well, thankfully, it doesn't expand and, you know, make her explode or anything. It's actually just, I guess it, go, it goes a long way. I guess apparently. so. <laughs> um, but you can see how that's so valuable, and this is kind of where the it, it kind of puts a softer side on the Serenity crew that they're not smuggling like you know, dangerous weapons or, or money. It's food, you know, for mm. people who are starving or having a hard, hard time surviving by a corrupt government. So, yeah, it gives them a more humanity at this point. Yeah, definitely. But uh, Patience confirms by her large bite <laughs> that it is the real deal, and she tosses a bag to Mal. So it looks like it's going pretty good. Now back on the ship, River awakens, sensing danger. And as she leaves the medical bay, she's grabbed by Dobson, who also threatens Kaylee to stay quiet. So now we cut back to the negotiation. So Mal tells Patience where she can find the spot where the rest of the bars are buried. And like here, they stand very awkwardly. And Mal asks, uh, you know, could you guys leave first? Yeah. (laughs) Interesting, too, that we could see kind of... um foreshadowing either Cobb, you know, putting some doubt that he might be a traitor. When he's looking through the sniper scope, he has it on uh, Mal pretty much the entire time. Yeah. So it kind of gives you that little bit of uh, a thought, well, maybe something up with him. Maybe he listened to Dobson is going to betray Mal at this point. Yeah, we, we saw the bribe being offered, but we did not see his response. So now things start to go a little sour. Patience says that there's a hitch, and she has a rule. That she doesn't let go of money, she doesn't have to. And Mal knows exactly what's up, and he throws her back the money. And uh, we see here that one of Patience's men is a guy with a top hat and a big rifle named Two Fry. And just as Mal compliments his hat, Two Fry is sniped by Jane. (laughs) (laughs) Good target. And so now Mal and Zoe take out their pistols, and they shoot some of Patience's men. And in the shootout, we actually see Zoe gets shot as well. Yeah, she, she takes a hit. But Jane is really doing his job and still loyal to the crew at this point. Now back on the ship, Simon is in the cockpit with Wash, who says he's always worried when Zoe's out on a deal. And just then, Kaylee calls them to tell them that River was taken. So Simon runs down to find River, and Wash starts to join him, but then is alerted to a situation. Now back down at the negotiation on Whitefall, Jane and Mal continue shooting, and even Zoe, she's lying on her back, but she's still taking out guys. Yep. Yeah, it looks like only Patience is left at this point. And not to worry about Zoe, because we find out that her chest armor is just dented and she's absolutely fine. And Mal finally admits to her at this point, yeah, this whole plan was a bad idea. (laughs) (laughs) So we see that Zoe is the voice of reason and continues to be as a second, you know, his second officer, I guess, first officer. Mm -hmm. She's the one that, you know, he should listen to more often. Kind of his conscience sort of thing. Yeah. So like you said, Patience is the only one left, and she's like hiding behind her horse, and warns Mal not to take another step, and Mal shoots her horse, and it falls <laughs> on her, trapping her. Poor horse. It wasn't his fault. Yeah, well, casualties of war, you know, what are you gonna do? <laughs> so Mal tells her that he does a job, and he gets paid. So he takes her money, spares her life, and tells her to go run her little world. We see at this next scene also, before we cut to another commercial, that um, Jane says one of the words um, that we see, Gorham. Is, yes. We see that a few times in this episode. And Gorham, if you look at the wiki, is actually the GD word. 
Yeah, there's a couple of instances like that where you can kind of see where they were going with it and how they, you know, were able to just get away with... Changed a little bit, yeah. And goes by the censors because it's not really a word. But now, just when you think things are looking up, Jane runs down the hillside to inform Mal and Zoe that the Reavers actually turned around and followed them. So we cut to space, and we see that Reaver ship that coasted by them earlier making a descent on Whitefall as we go to commercial. Now when we return, Simon and Dobson are fighting for the loose gun. Now Simon takes out a gun, and he orders him to stay still, as Wash informs the crew of the Reaver's incoming. Dobson tries to talk Simon out of killing him, and Wash prepares to take off in one minute. Meanwhile, Mal, Zoe, and Jane, they're racing back to the ship on horseback. So as Simon gets distracted by the ramp to the ship, Dobson grabs the gun from him and almost hits Simon. He grabs River, and now he's holding a gun to her head. Trying to negotiate with him first before he does this, but um, to a, to a failure, yes. And just as Dobson says that he's not playing anymore, Mal walks up the ramp and nonchalantly shoots Dobson dead. <laughs> as he, just as he's walking back onto the ship. And so we see Mal and Jane throw his body off the ramp as the Serenity takes off. Anybody makes so much of a movie, yeah, this kind of, okay, get out of my way sort of thing. <laughs> and we see that Book is okay there too, he's not dead, which is, yes. which is a, a plus. Dobson, we assume that he's dead, but they were actually thinking there might be a way of bringing him back. That I, I think they either were planning or they did bring him back in the comic book, which kind of followed the series. To tell yeah. a little more of the story. So this wasn't really necessarily the end of Dobson, but for our purposes, it is. I like how they chucked him off the... Uh, <laughs> yeah. Just walk him to the edge and throw him off. And also shows there, too, that Serenity not only has the ramp that goes down, but also has an internal door that shuts, too. So Yeah. If anybody's looking at the uh, schematics of it, they can see. And this, I think it comes up in the future episodes when they're boarded and things like that. You can see this also. So now they take off, and with the Reaver ship in hot pursuit, Wash asks Haley to be ready in the engine room. Mal also stops to tell Inara that she needs to be in her shuttle with the civilians and ready to go if they do get attacked. And when they're having this conversation, you can see in the background it's Kaylee's room. You can see the sign that she made. It's colorful, like a, a teenage girl with a maid. <laughs> yes. So, so that's where the crew quarters are. Now, as the Reaver ship tries to fly close enough to capture the Serenity, it has this way of capturing ships. Is it something like, um, is it like a magnet that it shoots out? Yeah, like, some kind of, again, not a beam, but some kind of uh, tow line It's going to try to grab onto it. So it's trying to get close enough to do this, but uh, Simon and River join Inara in the shuttle, while Book and Jane volunteer to help Kaylee push buttons and pull levers in the engine room, because Kaylee is still recovering from this wound and, and really can't get up and move around. Double duty today for Kelly, yep. <laughs> I guess. So back in the cockpit, Mal asks Wash for a maneuver called a Crazy Ivan. <laughs> so Kaylee orders Jane over to a really complicated box of lights and wires. Kaylee gives the okay, and Wash orders everyone to hold on to something. And uh, Wash says, you know, here's something you can't do. It's really a, uh, a risky move, very dangerous. We see the Serenity reverses its engines and flies at the reverse ship. It nearly clips it, flying straight at it, and takes off out of Whitefall's atmosphere in this cloud of smoke and fire. And the crew starts to celebrate as Kaylee pets the interior of the ship. <laughs> you know, she feels for it as if it's like a pet, you know? Yeah. Or as if it's a person. Now, back in Inara's shuttle, Book kind of comes to terms with what life is like outside of the Abbey. You know, it's pretty crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and he wonders, you know, with everything that's happened in these last two days, maybe he's on the wrong ship. And Inara replies that, well, maybe 
you know, you're exactly where you ought to be. He has on the right ship, yeah. And we also see Simon tending to River, promising that he'll bring her to a safe place. Again, some nice nice future, in future episodes, if this was actually the pilot episode, mm-hmm. some nice um, storylines to build on for future episodes. You know, what happens, what's going on with River, what can she do, that sort of thing. Which they do to a point, but again, there's a lot of work, lot to work with here. It's unfortunate they didn't take advantage of it in future yeah. episodes, or in future seasons, I should say. So we next cut to Mal and Jane in the cockpit, and Jane suggests that Mal just dump off Simon and River because they're really nothing but trouble. And no matter what they do, they'll always be followed by the Alliance as long as they're on board. Mal also asks how Dobson got free if he was tied up so well. And you know, Jane kind of denies helping him escape, even though he was offered a deal. And Mal asks Jane, why didn't he turn on him? And Jane says that the money wasn't good enough. Yeah, yeah. So again, giving you that little foresight that, you know, maybe Cobb can't be trusted as much. Jane can't be touch- trusted as much um, as we, we think he can. He's not as loyal as everyone else to the crew. And to Mal. But do you think that the money was good enough and he just didn't want to admit that he does kind of care for them? Because it was um, a lot of money. It's enough to buy his own ship. Yeah, yeah. But me, I think he also thought that it probably wasn't sincere. Dobson probably would have double-crossed him, too, in the long run. He, I'm sure the thought crossed his mind. Don't yeah. get me wrong. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure when he was staring at that scope of that sniper rifle, he considered it a couple times. But I, I think he's also biding his time. And I, I do think he has some affection, but I think he's... As the rest of the series goes on, he is kind of a opportunist too, so. Hmm. Well, you know, Jane says the money wasn't good enough, and Mal asks, well, what happens when it is? And Jane kind of hesitates, and he yeah. just says, well, that'll be an interesting day. Yeah, yeah, so we get that, again, that feeling that he's he can be bought for the right price if it was truly there, you know. Now, as he leaves, Simon enters to ask where he and his sister will be dumped off. And Mal tells him that they're safer on the move, and they really never stop moving. And Simon's a little confused. You know, this is completely different from what he was talking about earlier. And Mal tells him the ship could use a medic. And as long as Simon lives by his rule, keeps his sister from doing anything crazy, they could stay on the Serenity, you know, until something better comes along. Yeah. And, and Simon's a little reluctant to accept this offer, you know, this complete 180, it seems. And asks Mal why he didn't just kill him. Mal replies by telling him that he would make it a fair fight. Yeah. He has, he's a man of honor, as we can see. So, Simon agrees, and this is how we end the pilot episode. Yeah. And again, we said it before. We said it enough, I think. But I'll say it again. It's really a shame that they didn't... I think what really crippled this show, too, was a time spot it was in. I forget where it was, it was uh, put, but it was not a good time slot. Where it was... Um, you know, going against some other shows that were already established, and Fox kind of buried it right off I the think bat. they moved it around as well. It, yeah, it was that kind of deal. They moved it around, and they probably were moving it around in a, an effort to say, oh, we'll try to get ratings up, but I don't think they ever moved it to a really good time spot to give it a fair chance. It's always just kind of dumping it wherever, you know. It's almost like it was a, a project of Joss Whedon who already had some other successes, and they didn't want to tell him no, you mm-hmm. know. Okay, yeah, we'll, we'll let it go. Sure, you're Joss Wheaton. We'll see what happens. And you know, but they weren't having anything to do with it once there's no ratings. So, again, if you haven't watched the series, watch the rest of the series. Really good, really good sci-fi, really good western. Has a little bit of everything. Like you mentioned before, Scott, there is also I think some some novels and definitely comic books mm-hmm. that continue the story um, after the fact. 
And I, you know, these characters can also be, uh, they do attend comic book conventions and sci-fi conventions and things too. So, you know, there's opportunity there to see them. There's actually, a, I think, a movie or a documentary, um, or maybe there's a show. I know I'm really being quite vague here, but <laughs> remember you told me about Scott a while back where one the two main characters actually played themselves. Yeah, yeah, I was going to mention that. There's yeah. a show, and we covered it on the podcast before in the uh, the episode where we were talking about uh, the trailers that were released from this past Comic-Con. Yes, okay, yep. And uh, our that. guest, Kevin, brought out uh, a new show called Con Men, and it's about Nathan Fillion and Alan Tudyk playing versions of themselves. Nathan Fillion is a successful actor that played the captain of a ship on a successful cult sci-fi show. Yeah, and yeah. Alan Tudyk plays the actor that really hasn't found as much success post, you know, sci-fi show as his fellow cast member. It, it's it's a it's a comedy. I think it's a Vimeo on demand comedy. They had had a, a huge Kickstarter campaign. They made a, a ton of money, and they actually, uh, I believe, they released the series. And yeah, that's uh, it's pretty funny. Really making fun of themselves and the the situation of you know the uh, sci-fi comic conventions and their experiences working on Firefly and. And, you know, their, their life post-Firefly is yes. very, very funny. I would recommend that, too. Yeah, I, I think I did see that, and it was very, very entertaining. So, But definitely check out some of the other things, um, especially that Summer Glau did. I mean, she's been burned by Fox a number of times at this point <laughs> um, with these series. But, you know, some really interesting – and all the other actors, I mean, of course, are, are awesome, too. And But it definitely worth a watch. And definitely I'm sure that anybody who watches the first episode of Firefly, like we have, will be hooked and – and really, will Netflix it, and they'll watch the series in one long sitting, and also the the made for movie, which is called Serenity, which is also, I believe, on Netflix too. Yeah, it is as well. So, yeah, the uh, it's nice to know that Netflix restored it to the intended order, so you won't be seeing this episode that we just talked about at the very end, where it makes absolutely no sense. Uh, it's at the beginning. You get a, a really good introduction to the world and to the characters, and uh, just what a great show! Great casting, great writing. And uh, just the when you watch it, you kind of feel sad that you know it it wasn't given it a fair shake and really wasn't given its due. Yeah, that that's the biggest emotion you'll feel is sadness and regret that you know they didn't catch it the first time around. They maybe could have done something or, or written somebody, but I don't think all the fan letter writing campaigns in the world could have saved Firefly. Honestly, at that no. time, um, it was just destined to to fail by Fox, unfortunately. So, but. At least it's there. It's there to stream, and it's a uh, you know a good amount of episodes. So there's yes. a there's a lot to watch. Yep. All right. Well, that'll pretty much do it for this episode of Hitting Play. As always, you can email us with your comments, suggestions, what you know how to say in Chinese, whatever you got for us at hittingplayshow at gmail or you can talk to us on Twitter at hittingplay. Now, Sean, do you have anything you want to plug? Um, I guess uh, you could go to my Twitter, which is uh, Weasel W E A Z E L. 1978-1978. That's my, my newer Twitter page to see my thoughts on various things. Um, one other thing I'd like to plug, too, is if you're in the general New England area or Boston area, on April 30th, there will be a mini Maker Fair on Cape Cod, where we are currently reside, me and Scott, at the Mashpee High School. And the website, I believe, is capecodmakerfair.com, where you can just Google Cape Cod Mini Maker Fair. Really cool projects. I will be there. We were there. Scott and I were there last year. I'll be there this year presenting something. Just if you're into technology or art or projects, maker-type projects, uh, very cool event. April 30th, uh, 2016. Nice. 
I am on Twitter. My name there is at MC and Friends. You can follow me there. I am also on Vine. There, my name is also MC and Friends, and there I do flip page cartoons, little humorous animations. You can check my stuff out there. If you listen to us on iTunes, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review. It really helps us out. And if you do, you will get a shout-out on the show. We try to be creative with those. For Android users, we are also available to stream and or download on Stitcher. And we can be found on TuneIn Radio and coming soon to Google Play. Awesome. Well, we have been Sean and Scott, and this has been Hitting Play. Thank you so much for listening. Have a gorm day. (laughs) 